0: I am glad he sees what we don't. And uh, we're in, uh, of course, on Wednesdays, the book of Job uh, does not. I've only said this, I think, twice in the last year going through Job. But that book does not lend itself to expository preaching. My friends warned me about that when I announced we were going through every chapter. and uh, But we're at the place now where God is speaking in the book of Job. And he's letting Job know quite well. You don't know what you think you know, but I know it all. You thought you knew it all. And in the book of Job, it seems that God is put on trial by Job, by Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. Not so much Elihu, but God puts Job on trial in the end, and he's going to confess him to be Lord. And that's just what he is. (laughs) That would make a Lutheran want to shout. Amen. Amen or a Methodist-speaking tongues. Take your Bible and find two places of Scripture, please. Two places of Scripture, the book of Mark, chapter 1. The book of Mark, chapter number 1. I thought about just, uh, of course, all I've been able to do is just sit around or lay around uh, for about a week and think about this passage and other passages regarding the life of Christ. Isn't it it interesting, or at least it's interesting to me how that... um, we'll use as our text for the sermon today, uh, the text for for this particular event in the life of Christ from Mark 1. The parallel passage, if you'll be finding now, Luke 4. It's interesting how if you just took just the book of Matthew, you're going to miss a lot of events. There's going to be a lot of the blanks not filled in for you regarding the life of Christ. But then you lay Uh, the book of Mark right in on top of it, then the book of Luke, then the book of John. But Mark's just covering in chapter 1 where Luke has already carried us through the birth and the early years of Christ. Uh, He's now in chapter 4. And it's interesting to me how this all plays out. All right, I trust you're holding your place in Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 4. If you can and will, we're only going to read the Companion passage to where we're preaching this morning that's in Luke 4:31 to 37. Would you stand with us please give you a chance to rest yourself again and also uh, we'll honor God's word by standing for the reading of our text. Luke 4 I'm interested in Christ's deliverance in the synagogue in Capernaum, Christ's deliverance in the synagogue in Capernaum. Luke chapter 4 31 to 37 the Bible says, And came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil, and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. Now, In Mark chapter number 1, verse 21 to 28, this is the passage that will bring the message with this particular event or series of events that take place in the life of Christ. You'll notice with me beginning in verse number 21 of Mark chapter 1, and we'll stay in this text, uh, and I probably will not read all the companion texts through the life of Christ as we've done our our last message in this morning, but uh, we did want to do that. Mark 1, 21 through 28. The Bible says, And they went into Capernaum and straightway. There's one of your key words to the book of Mark. If you underline in your Bible, um, you're to underline or circle, highlight, whatever you do, that word straightway. As a matter of fact, you'll find it back up in verse 10, you'll find it in verse 12, you'll uh or you'll find immediately in verse 12, you'll find straightway in verse 18, verse 20, and again in verse 21. And you're going to see the scene change often in the book of Mark. I've called it for years the busy gospel. Mark presents Christ as the perfect servant. He's very ox-like. He's in the harness. He's working. Mark wrote to the Romans. The Romans were interested in a man who was industrious, could get work done. And so you get out of one scene, you're right into the next scene with Mark. This is John Mark, Barnabas' nephew, the penman, the guy that left on the first missionary journey. With Paul, and his life has often been preached on that uh, God is the God of the second chance, and He is, isn't He? This gospel is a testimony to that. All right, verse twenty-one, and they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught, for he taught them as one that had authority, not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Thank you for standing. Thank you so much. Christ's deliverance in the synagogue in Capernaum. If the Lord will help us this uh, text, this passage of Scripture easily divides itself into three sections. So we'll speak under three headings this morning. Verses 21 and 22, Christ delivers a message in the synagogue in Capernaum. In verse 23 through 26, Christ delivers a man in the synagogue in Capernaum. And then in verses 27 and 28, Christ is magnified among the people of Capernaum and even beyond. You remember our last look into the life of Christ, the life and ministry of Christ, we noticed his follow me call. There are at least 16 of those in the Gospels. His follow me call to the four fishermen, Peter and Andrew, James and John. It was a call uh, to discipleship. Of course, when we follow Christ and we come to know of Christ, we find new life, new joy, new peace, New experiences, new prayer time, new purpose, new focus in life when we come to know Christ. And so the Lord is going to work in their lives. As a matter of fact, I had part in an ordination, preacher's ordination service seven, eight weeks back. And I was reminded how that Christ invested himself in a handful of men. Those men turned the known world upside down. And Paul picked up that principle, and as a matter of fact, in that service, I listed a number of them, where they were from, that Paul invested his life into their lives. Elijah did that in the Old Testament in the schools of the prophets, didn't he? If you can invest your life into somebody else's life, you can bring someone to Christ and then help to disciple them, you have done them and their family, their community a large favor. And so the Lord's going to use these men. Four, there will be uh, 12 eventually, that he will commission to be apostles, which means sent ones, and they will preach the gospel, and God will use them to do signs and wonders and preach the gospel like no one else. He's always had a witness. Sometimes we wonder, where are the preachers at? Where are the young boys surrendering to preach? But you don't don't have to fret any. God's always had a witness. It may be a remnant, but he's always had a voice. And he's the one driving the ship. He knows where we're going. He's soon to send his son, dispatch his son, uh, to fetch his bride. And we're soon to be with our precious Lord. At this time, in this particular event in the life of Christ, we are between Passover A.D. 27 and Passover A.D. 28. We're in the first year of Christ's ministry. There have been 10 events thus far, we've noticed, uh, in the life of Christ's ministry. There are seven left. This is one of them. Six of the seven I'm preaching from, the Lord willing, if God allows us to, one of them will not preach from, and it simply is recorded where the Bible says that he preached throughout Galilee, the region of Galilee. That'd be a very short exposition, and some of you short-timers might appreciate that if I did, but we won't do that that particular Sunday. We'll only mention that in passing. I want you to look back with me at verses 21 and 22, how that Our Lord delivers a message in the synagogue in Capernaum. Verse 21 and 22, the Bible says, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Capernaum has now become the home base of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember two messages ago, we talked about Christ being rejected of the Nazarenes, And when he left Nazareth, he was rejected. He was in the synagogue. He was rejected. He revealed who he was. And he makes his way to Capernaum. And so this will be his home base from uh, from this point forward. Uh, No matter where he travels, no matter where he preaches, he's coming back to here. He's going out from here to various places, Capernaum. And then he's going to return home. And when he returns home, he's coming back to the home uh, that uh, coming back to the place where he's made home in Capernaum. Let me give you two ideas of that. Mark chapter 2 and verse number 1. Watch this. The Bible says, you're right there in Mark 1, look at Mark 2, verse 1. The Bible says, and again he entered into Capernaum after some days. In other words, he's been away for a span of time. Now he's come home. As a matter of fact, that's underlined uh, further in the verse where it says, and it was noised. In other words, it was reported, and it was noised that he was in the house. It'd be the same as saying that, that uh, by 1.30 today, I will be in the house. So in other words, I'll be at the house. I'll be in my home. That's the idea. That is simply the idea of that. Over in Mark chapter number 9 and verse number 33, you have the same idea where the Bible says, And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them. Or in other words, being at the house, being home, he asked them. That is, he'll ask his disciples What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? Capernaum is mentioned some 16 times in the Gospels. As a matter of fact, to whom much is given, much shall be required. He performed many miracles and works and did much preaching in Capernaum. So much so that he's going to give a prophetic warning of the city's destruction and judgment. When he, when he gave the, when he gave the admonitions to the cities, you'll remember in Matthew 11, listen to what he had for the city of Capernaum. In Matthew eleven twenty three and 24, he said, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. This is what he said in essence. He said to the citizens of Capernaum that were around him and could hear him that day as he preached, he said, you men, you women, you people from Capernaum, he said, now you have sat in a good place. I have walked in your midst. I've lived among you uh, for all this time. You've seen uh, you've seen miracle after miracle. You've seen me where you've observed me. He said, you've been exalted unto heaven, but he said, I'm telling you, you're going to be brought down to hell. He says, as a matter of fact, he said, if I had have lived in Sodom and done what what I, have uh, done in Sodom, what I've done here among you inhabitants, you citizens of Capernaum, he said, now they'd still be on the map. Did you know that there have been, uh, there have been construction crews, excavation crews and construction crews going to the ancient city of Capernaum? They know where it's located. And every time they uh, have tried that those crews have tried to, to build the city back to excavate what they could excavate and then rebuild the old city of Capernaum, a natural disaster seven times over that we know of. A natural disaster has come through and destroyed it all over again. Now, I'm going to tell you, when God says, Thou shalt be brought down to hell, thou shalt be brought down uh, to hell. The Bible told us, you remember when we were looking at uh, Christ's rejection of the Nazarenes as as he, was in the, as he was in the their synagogue that day, you remember the Bible says uh, over there, and we labored it, uh, that it was his custom to go in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and that—that's just lodged in me. And as a matter of fact, as I've read these two companion texts off and on now for two weeks, every time I come through verse number twenty-one and twenty-two of Mark one, I'm reminded that was his custom. That was his habit. It's not surprising that on the on the Sabbath day in Capernaum they have a synagogue. That's where he's going. It's the Sabbath day. That's his custom. That's his. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, he, uh, he will rise on the Sabbath day. On the seventh day of the week, he will rise and he will make his way to the synagogue. Synagogue simply means gathering place. And we won't go through what we went through some weeks ago regarding the synagogue, but this is his habit. It's his continued exercise. Now, there would have been synagogue attendees. You remember when we did talk about the synagogue here a couple of messages back, we talked about the it was it would be a congregation made up much like this congregation, Except back in Capernaum, they would have been fishermen because they're close to a port and, and the shore. Uh, they would have been, uh, they would have been fishermen. They would have been, uh, carpenters. They would have been craftsmen. They would have been those that would have bought and sold fruit and vegetables as those, um, that would come through their little city, uh, could, so that they could buy. They would be, they would be housewives. They'd be common folk, be a, a lot of other folk. They'd come from various places and stations in life. And they're coming forward to hear the scriptures read. Many times in the synagogue service, the scriptures would be read up to seven times, each at synagogue. And the minister, uh, we would call him a pastor today, but the minister w- would take one of the scrolls of Old Testament scripture and would pick it up. And if somebody had a word, if if, if if Donald Talent, were if we were in the synagogue back in those days and, and he lifted his hand or spoke to the minister on the way in, and and he said, "I've got a word. I, I've been praying and meditating about, and I've got a word." Well, the minister would take it and take the scroll and hand to uh, hand to him. You understand? And you remember, you remember the now the Savior uh, back over uh, in that other message. We won't go back through it all, but you remember here as the Bible. I'm mindful of this, as the Bible says in verse 21 and 22. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. You know these people, these citizens, this, that made up the congregation at, at Capernaum in the synagogue. You know they've heard of the Nazarene. They've heard how, how that there's a stir amongst him. They want to hear his teaching, and here he is. He is teaching. As he taught in the synagogue, the, it's not recorded what he taught here, but I'll remind you of what he taught in the synagogue at, at Nazareth. He taught from four Old Testament passages, all four found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, the spirit of the Lord came upon me. You remember, he was identifying himself. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them uh, that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he went on to say, and the day of vengeance, and our God, or the, the Bible says, and to comfort all that mourn. And the trail is behind him. They say if you get lost in the woods or on a mountainside or somewhere that if you've got crumbs, drop a trail of crumbs, leave an article or two along the way so that someone could track you. It's left behind them. The deaf, uh, they are hearing, the dumb are speaking, the dead are getting up and walking around. Uh, Those that are poor and and rejected in society, they're having the good news preached to them and they're being set free. Those that are bound by whatever they're bound, he is setting them at liberty. And so he identified himself there at Nazareth, and no doubt he's identified himself. and We don't have the scripture as to what he preached, but no doubt he's doing that again and would have taken Old Testament scripture to do so. You remember when John the Baptist, you will remember when he was bound in prison and he was struggling with doubt. Uh, don't uh, get to too much on your high horse. If you learn of someone struggling with doubt, uh, you may go there yourself one of these days. Things weren't working out the way he had preached. He thought that the Christ was going to set up his kingdom, rid the rule of, uh, of the Roman government. He thought that uh, no doubt he would be seated somewhere close to the throne by now. And there he is in a dungeon, a cold, dark dungeon. And Jesus is going on as though he does not know nor care where John is. You remember John had sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him, do we look, uh, are you the one or do we look for another? And uh, he quoted again from Matthew. "'Jesus answered and said unto them, "'Go and show John again those things "'which you do hear and see. "'The blind receive their sight, "'the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, "'and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, "'and the poor have the gospel preached to them.'" I love that over there. He said, "'Go tell John again.'" He said, "'John has preached this himself. "'Go tell him again. "'Repeat the truth again to him. "'Help him, comfort him with these words.'" Tell him what the Bible says. Tell him what he's preached, and tell him it's all right. Anchor your faith right there. Uh, nothing has changed. It's all on schedule. You go back and you tell John. But those uh, those passages in Isaiah uh, they uh, they remind us that Jesus came to save our little ones. He came to save our mothers and our fathers. He came to save uh, he came to save our neighbors. He came to save the old and the young. He came to give himself a ransom for many. He came to save sinners. He came to save you, and he came to save me, thank God. And that's uh, what he would bring out. I thought about three verses out of the book of Romans that bear the word justified in it. Uh, some say that justified means just as if I would never sinned. It means that, but it means so much more, friend. Listen to three verses where the Bible speaks of we who are saved, if you've trusted Christ and come to Christ, how that we are justified. The Bible says in Romans 5, in verse number 1, therefore being justified by faith, not by works, not that your works, your good ones outweigh your bad ones, but he said we're justified by faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He's pleased to look upon Christ and pardon me. He was pleased to bruise his own son, place my sin upon him and bruise his own son. It pleased the Lord to do that and to pardon and forgive me. And therefore we're justified by faith. That means The conflict's been resolved. There's no more unrest. We're not unsettled about it anymore. We have peace about it. Peace that passeth all understanding. In Romans 5 and 9, the Bible says much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. And then in Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 30, whom over, or moreover, excuse me, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also, here it is, justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And I'm to tell you, part of our problem today is we've had too many converted to old time religion. We're having too many converted to contemporary religion. We're having too many converted to a man-made set of ideals uh, somehow in church buildings with steeples on them, and very few are being converted to Christ and being converted to Christianity. Now, Jesus blew every bit of that out of the water, did he not? Of course, Luke told us, he recorded for us that for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And and if people are being saved, then we're the changed lives. We're the Christ-seekers. Uh, where are those who now uh, live a normal life of prayer? and the Sermon on the Mountain, we'll cover it soon to come. But you remember, he didn't say, if you pray, pray like this. He said, but when you pray. He said, comes along with the package, right? It's just a package deal. Not, I had no idea when God saved me what uh, what all had taken place. and I've been learning about it now for over 30 years. I'm liking it more. Uh, the more I learn, the more I, I'm liking it. I didn't know prayer come along with that. I didn't know the, the moving of God in my life on a continual basis came along with that. I didn't know that a God consciousness about my life. I didn't know that came along with that. But I'm telling you, every bit of that and so much more comes along with that. The only difference in those of us who may be saved in the service than those who are not is that we are in Christ Jesus. We are able to, uh, we, we rest in His righteousness. We rest in His finished work. I was reading some verses a moment or two ago out of the book of Romans. I love the way Romans 8 opens and the way that Romans 8 closes. I think that is one of the greatest theological chapters in all of our Bibles. It opens with no condemnation to they who are in Christ Jesus. It closes, that chapter closes with no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to the first verse of Romans chapter number 8. The Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. No condemnation. Listen to the last two verses of that chapter. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You say, preacher, what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? It means to be right there, to be in Christ Jesus. He looks upon him, and I am forgiven because he looks upon his son. I am accepted in the beloved, I don 't have to pray to be seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. and that's what the Word of God has to say, and I know you're a Bible reader, so you have no problem whatsoever with that. Can I get a witness? I thought about Philip Doddridge's uh, song. We haven't sung it here, I think, in a few years now, but I love that old hymn, "Oh, Happy Day." Listen to the words of it. No doubt some of this that I'm sharing with you right now about Christ's message. No doubt Doddridge was rejoicing in that when he penned these words: "O oh, happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. Well, may this glowing heart rejoice and tell its raptures all abroad. O oh, happy day, O oh, happy day, that when Jesus washed my sins away, he taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. O oh, happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. Do you have a happy day in your life where He saved your sinful soul? I've got that. Thank God I've got that. Now, the people, the Bible says in verse 22, as Christ delivered this message in the synagogue at Capernaum, the Bible says the people were astonished at His teaching. Verse number 22 says, and they were astonished at His doctrine. That word doctrine comes from doctrina, comes from doctra. Simply means the teaching or that which is being taught. Uh, whatever Brother Jay taught this morning, that's teaching, that's doctrine, that's doctrine, that's doctrina. He gave words to color his thought, uh, to color, to color truth and communicate truth uh, from the Word of God this morning, and I'm doing the same thing. Sometimes people say, well, it's not my doctrine. Well, it is too. If, uh, if, uh, if you're preaching the Word of God, you ought to embrace whatever the Bible has to say. Mark, it's interesting in his gospel, he records the People being amazed at, uh, excuse me, at various times as uh, Christ would preach or something else would be going on. Twice in chapter number one, once in chapter two, twice in chapter five, twice in chapter six, chapter seven once, chapter ten once, and chapter eighteen once to be amazed. The Bible says here they were astonished and they were astonished at his doctrine. This word astonished simply means that they were amazed as I've already touched upon. It even means to, to be sitting to a place and, and just be addled all of a sudden. In other words, you just, you, you're awe-stricken. Barclay said it meant that they were thunderstruck, almost in a state of shock. Why are they shocked at his teaching and at his presence? I think there are a number of reasons why. I think Jesus Christ, number one, he's different. He carried himself differently than the scribes and the chief priests. His preaching is different. His teaching was different. His approach to ministry, his whole philosophy of ministry, every bit of it was different. Look right over there in Mark chapter number 2 again, verses 15 to 18. The scribes and and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the whole religious gamut, uh, they would not have slipped up beside you if you'd been living a life of sin. Not so with Christ. He Again, he came to seek and save that which was lost. Mark 2, 15 to 18, watch his approach to ministry. Watch his philosophy of of um, of being a fisher of men himself. Mark two fifteen to eighteen, and it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician. He said, I didn't come for you. You think you don't need anybody? That's all right. I'm going to leave you alone. He said, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners uh, to repentance. I'm glad if a man wants to get to Christ, he may have to climb a tree because he's short of stature to get to him. But if he wants to get to Christ, he'll get to him. And if a woman wants to touch the Lord, she may only can get close enough to touch the hem of his garment. But thank God she's able to get to him. If somebody wants to come to Christ, uh, if a prodigal wants to leave the far country and go back home, uh, go home to the father's house, he'll find an awaiting father uh, there to receive him. Christ receiveth sinners. That's all he does receive, by the way. And no wonder the Bible says here, and they were astonished at his doctrine. Now, the Bible teaches us in verse number 22, he preached with authority, right? There's a fellow who used to be on the radio. Some of us were on the radio. I was on there for about 22 uh, about 20 to 21, 22 years, and, and there was a fellow, and I loved him, and I tried to help him with this. He'd come on the radio, and he'd put a question mark over nearly every text every week, and he'd ask me from time to time, Is anything you, you can help me with, and, and I, would, I would call his name, and, and, and very gently, I'd say to him, I'd say, you need to quit putting a question mark to what God has declared you don't put a question mark. You don't have to say, well, now this is what I believe. You just state what the word of God says and you turn it loose and let the word of God do its own work. And you see, Jesus is preaching with authority according to verse 22. They were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Again, Mark's gospel. There are other peculiarities about him, some unique features. He, he, he centers on this thing of Christ's preaching and even John's preaching and teaching of the scriptures, uh, he uses the word teach some four times, taught nine times, preach uh, four times and another six times where it says six times the Bible says of Christ that he preached at certain places. For a total of 23 times in 16 chapters, Mark lays great emphasis on the preaching of the word of God and how Christ did it and John the Baptist did it. If there's anything our churches need in these days, we need help in the pulpit, right? I mean, I mean we're so biblically literate uh, we can preach a biblical message about Christ, and we can preach on uh, whatever you want to preach on and shake every bush you want to shake and everybody say amen, stand and shout you down, and you can preach on Christ, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and folk will look at you like a calf looking at a new gate. Hey, God help us to be preachers. matter of fact, we need some Bible believers and some Bible preachers in our uh, pulpits in these days in which we live. Twenty-three times in 16 chapters... Mark pulls us in to the importance, to the, to the importance of the fact that Christ preached. Isn't it amazing? God had, had his only begotten son, sent him into this world and he was a preacher. Isn't that amazing? I have heard that mamas and daddies almost sob when their young sons would surrender to preach. And i think to myself, God had only one son. Not only did he send him to die, but he sent him to be a preacher. He's a preacher in this world. Uh, Christ taught them, the Bible says. The Bible says taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. You remember the scribes. Uh, you know who they are. They handle the scriptures daily. As a matter of fact, they would copy word for word. They would copy the scriptures so other people in the public uh, could, uh, could make use of the scriptures. But the scribes were like modernists in our day. They put a question mark over everything. Uh, what they would do is uh, their, their theology was a secondhand theology. They'd say something like this: "Well, Rabbi Gamaliel, Rabbi Gamaliel says." And then they'd wait a little bit, and they'd say, "Rabbi Gamma, uh, Rabbi um, Halil, he 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 says this. Rabbi Eliezer, he he says this. Rabbi Saul, he's and and all they're doing is just uh, regurgitating. If they were living in our day, they'd be regurgitating what they're finding on the internet and just saying what everybody else has had to say." And we don't need that. We need to know what the Bible says. It doesn't matter what Sam, Jim, and Bob says. What matters is what the Word of God has to say. i tell you a burden of my heart. I was speaking with Brother Rick Safer Brother in Rick June of last year. We met in his son's home one afternoon uh, just outside Taylorsville. And I was telling him about some of the young men that we watch come through our Bible Institute. They get out and they go to pastoring. They go to taking... Um, What we call expository preaching, in other words, verse-by-verse preaching, if you want to simplify it. Everybody eat them up for six months, but before two years is up, their time is up too. Now, that's a sad commentary on where we are in the day in which we live. Can I get a witness? Tell me what the Bible says. I don't need to know what Uncle Tom thought about it. I don't need to know what Uncle John thought about it. Just tell me what the Bible says. And, and we'll get along in life a whole lot better if we can understand what God has to say. But the problem with the scribes is, is that their doctrine was, was something that was a tradition that they were married to and they would just repeat time and again. Let me remind you, we were dealing with those messages in the life of Christ leading up to his birth. You remember when the Magi, after the birth of Christ, he's many months old. I don't believe he's two years old. Herod made his order, but I believe he's covering all his bases. I believe he's many months old. Uh, But you'll remember that Herod was the only one that believed the Magi. Uh, He wanted to know where where is he that's born king of the Jews. He considered himself king of the Jews. You remember who he called? He called the scribes. He said, now, where can they find him? And they told him. But here's the thing about it. The scribes didn't even believe the Bible. Had they believed the Bible and believed it was coming to its fulfillment, in that prophecy they were only a few short miles from the Christ child, they were modernist in their day. Now, I want to show you something, and i 'm going to skip over some of what i 've got. Go back, hold your place in mark one. go back to Matthew chapter number five. Let me show you how far different christ's preaching and teaching was than the scribes. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount there 's something you find in chapter five, some six times he 's going to challenge their thinking he 's going to challenge what they 've been handed down in their synagogues over the years. Watch what he says. In, in Matthew chapter number 5, look down. Um, let's see here. Look down at verse number 27. He said, "He said, uh, no, look at verse number 21 first. You might want to underline this. Some six times over, verse 21, he said, "'You have heard that it was said by them of old time.'" In other words, tradition has passed something down to you. He said, "'You've heard thou shalt not kill, "'and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment.'" He said, but I want to tell you the truth. He said, but I say unto thee that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, which means worthless, shall be in danger of the counsel. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Look at verse 27. You'll find this phrase again. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. In verse number 31, he said, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving, or unless for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. Verse number 33, And again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself. Verse 38, You have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He He said, But I'm going to straighten that out for you. Verse number 43, he said, tradition has taught you. He said, you have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. He said, that's not right. He said, that is not right. And so he preached the truth. He preached it clearly so that people could understand it. You'll know how we all go back to teach Sunday school, preach messages, whatever. If you want to know the the, the purpose in my being here, it's found in Nehemiah chapter number 8. It's modeled there better than anywhere. What Ezra the scribe did and the others was they read the word of God. And a number of times you'll find the word understand, understood, or understoodest over there. We come to understand what the Bible is saying in a passage. Y'all aren't listening very fast. Look at verse 23 to 26. Christ delivers a message in the synagogue in Capernaum, verse 21-22. 23-26, Christ delivers a man in the synagogue in Capernaum. Let's read the verses. We'll hurriedly go back through them. Verse 23-26, through 26, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. That's at 23 through 26. Two thoughts right here. Number one, there's an unnamed man here in the synagogue that draws, our, draws the attention of Christ. In verse number 23, you'll find where he cried out. This unnamed man, his name is not given. He cries out, draws the attention of Christ. We don't know if he stepped forward or not, but we do know that he cried out. In other words, there was a devil in the congregation there that day, in the synagogue that day, in the gathering, just waiting to disrupt what was going on. And at the presence of Christ, and at the preaching of Christ, he does just that very thing. The Bible calls this one, this uh, this um, this devil, This we would call them demons, or you hear that called in these days. You don't find that word in your Bible. Uh, man has used that word to substitute for devil. But the Bible says in verse number 24, he's an unclean spirit. Uh, This uh, fallen angel, verse number 23, excuse me. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. And this is what he cries out in verse number 24, let us alone. And no doubt he's speaking on behalf of all the fallen hosts of the angelic beings. There was one-third of the angelic hosts that fell, right, and was cast from heaven. Let us alone. What have we to do with thee? Thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. He's disturbed that Christ is here, the Son of God, God the Son. He's disturbed over whatever message he preached that day. How could anyone be disturbed over the truth of what the Word of God teaches? How could anyone do that? I tell you, it's only someone that would be anti-truth, that would be of that mindset. That's the way it is with evil and evil spirits, right? Um. I was thinking of this just recently, we're doing some work in my study and Aaron was helping me one day and it got to rain and we'd taken a couple of bookshelves out and had set them outside. Shady Rose let me use their trailer, their enclosed trailer. I've got books stacked in there until we finished the work and, but there were bookshelves outside and it started to rain. So we had some this down by the barn. We ran down there to get it. As soon as I, as soon as I moved it the first time, there was a um, as a chicken snake looked about like Chris Wilburn was laying up under there, and he recalled and ran from the light. You move a piece of tin or a piece of lumber of their insects or mice, you know what, you, what they do, don't you? They run from the light. They're now exposed to it. So it, is, so it is with sin. R. Ken Hughes said it is possible to recognize Jesus for who he is and hate him all the more. So it is with this unclean spirit. This unclean spirit acknowledges a couple of things. Verse number 24. Number one, he acknowledges coming judgment. He said, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, Jesus of Nazareth? What are you doing here? We know that judgment, we know we've got it coming. We know judgment is ordered for We know that. But now's not the time. Why are you here? Why are you here an hour? Uh, Presence. What are you doing here during these days? And then he asks, art thou come to destroy us? What a defeated expression. It's about like a man being sentenced in court. And he knows he must serve his sentence out. But he's set free for a time. But judgment is soon to come into his life. Thomas Carlyle had this to say about judgment. He said, judgment for an evil thing is many times delayed some day or two. Some century or two. But it is as sure as life and judgment, it's just as sure. is as sure as death, and certainly it is. And this fallen angel believes so. He says, I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. That's interesting. James said, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The devils believe all the devils believe, but they are devils still. Isn't that interesting? There's the unmatched Christ in the synagogue in Capernaum. The unmatched Christ, verse number 25 and 26. Let's read these. I'll say a few brief things, and then I'll give you my last thought, and we'll be brief with it. 25 and 26, watch this. The Bible says, and Jesus rebuked him. That is, he's rebuking the unclean spirit, this fallen angel that has possessed this man. Jesus rebuked him, saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. He rebuked him. He said, Hold thy peace. It simply means silence. That a devil, or the devil, a devil, has the audacity to think they have right to an audience with our Lord. What audacity! He said, quiet, silence. Hold your peace. He said, hold thy peace. Verse number 25, he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Verse number 26, the unclean spirit is cast out of him. And this unnamed man, then he's restored. He's made whole, filled with joy and filled with peace. But here's the point I simply want to make. There is no wrestling match. There's no wrestling match. Sometimes I'll hear someone preach and you almost think there's a cosmic chess game going on between God and Satan. God makes a move and Satan makes a move and backs him into the corner and his anxiety is sky high now, God's that is. And then he figures out a move and makes a move, then the Satan will make a move. You don't find that in the Bible. Nor do you find a grand shootout at the O.K. Corral. And the devil's stabbing our Lord and shooting him all to pieces and breaking every bone in a supposed body. And There's been such a shootout that God's got some revolver. It's a six-shooter and five of the shots has been shot already and his revolver got knocked out of his hand. He's lying in the dust and somehow he musters up enough strength and then in the final closing minutes of time, he reaches and gets the gun and fires and wins the... That's not what you find. Our God has no rival. He said to over and again when he wrote that letter to Cyrus 200 years before he's ever born, he said four or five times over, he said, Let that old boy know. Though he won't know me, he don't know me. He ain't even been born. And he will not know me. He's my anointed. I'm still going to use him. But four or five times over, he said, He should write him a letter. And he said, Tell him, I am the Lord. And he may think he's running the outfit, but I am the Lord. And beside me, there is none other. Four or five times, go over and read it. He's not bullied by Satan. Change your perspective when you go through trials, if you can go looking at him in a little higher light and put the devil in his rightful place. What a God we serve today. He is the unmatched Christ. I've heard this. I heard it again recently something along the lines that satan is defeating the lord in so many areas i let that pass a couple of times and i said wait a minute now it's not so and the other part well i meant and i said well just so you understand that's he's never defeated jesus jesus has never lost anything we're on the winning side today dear child of god No, with me lastly and i've skipped over some of this but First off, we we did consider Christ delivers a message in the synagogue in Capernaum, 21 and 22. Verse 23 to 26, Christ delivered a man in the synagogue in Capernaum. And then lastly, verse 27 and 28, Christ is magnified among the people of Capernaum and beyond. Watch verse 27 and 28. The Bible says, and they were all amazed. Of course, that's the people that's inside the synagogue at the time that witnessed his preaching and witnessed his deliverance of this man. The Bible says in verse 27 and 28, they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? In other words, what has just happened here? What new doctrine is this? In other words, he doesn't preach like the scribes. He doesn't teach like our elders. For what? Uh, for with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. The Bible says, and immediately is Fame spread abroad throughout all the region, round about Galilee. Now, Christ's consideration, his person is magnified among the people here in Capernaum and then, according to verse 28, even beyond. You know who was there that day. It's a pretty good crowd of people there that day. There was Christ and there was the four that he took with him. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Those men will model that same preaching with authority in time to come. Christ is investing in these four. There'll be others he will invest in. We know there are times when they cower. Peter denied our Lord publicly. We all speak of it quite often. But watch him. Watch him after his restoration, restoration on the day of Pentecost. He preaches with the boldness of a lion. Peter will live in that authority. Peter will die in that authority. Andrew will do the same. James will do the same. John will die a natural death, but they tried to boil him in oil and make a martyr out of him. He stood in that authority, willing to be boiled, burned at the stake if need be. All of the the disciples who became apostles died martyrs' death except for John. The synagogue, the congregates of the synagogue, they were there that day. They were amazed, the Bible says. They were amazed at his doctrine. They were amazed at his delivering of the man. They were amazed at his authority. And again, verse number 28, the entire region is affected by Christ's teaching and miracle in the synagogue. And there's one old boy that showed up vexed that day that got delivered and went home fully restored. Sometimes we go after numbers and play the numbers game so much, we think we got to be winning thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands, and there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus spoke to us about the one. Most people who make professions of faith and stick around are one, one at a time. Somebody draws near to them. They have a little confidence in them. They'll follow them over to a church service one day gets showing up quite regular, and they'll put their faith in Christ. Somewhere down the road, they'll bring one. Somewhere down the road, they'll bring one. Famous preacher that uh, Brother Creus so often quotes, and I quote him too, C.H. Spurgeon. You've heard his testimony. I've shared it with you before. As a teenage boy, he was converted to Christ on a cold winter day. Inclement weathering. So he ducked into a Methodist church. Weather was so bad the pastor couldn't even make it. And so one of the men of the church, the few that showed up, it fell his lot to open the Bible and give a word, and a brief word it was that he gave. The layman got up and opened his Bible to Isaiah forty five, twenty two, and where it says, Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth where I am God and there is none else. In Spurgeon's latter years, you ever noticed in preacher's older years, there's a lot of reminiscing in their preaching? I remember hearing Mays Jackson back in the 90s. Up in Mayfield Creek Baptist Church, Mayfield Creek, Kentucky. heard him a couple of years in a row. The old man, all he did was told stories of where he'd seen people saved and God do a work. Just reminisced about the power of God he'd witnessed. It was a delightful thing, dear old Mays, Brother Mays, Bridge. Spurgeon, in his latter years, went back and relived that day that he trusted Christ. He said of the layman, the church member of that Methodist church that took his Bible and got behind the desk that morning, he said, for all we know, he was an ignorant man. He could not say much, so he was obliged to keep to his text He said, and I thank God for that. Spurgeon went on and said, the older gentleman who took his Bible and read from Isaiah 45, 22, he said, there were but a bare few of us in service that day. And he said, that gentleman said, he looked right at me and said, young man, you are very miserable. Young man, look. In God's name, look and look now. And Spurgeon testified, I did look. And for that, I was granted eternal life. There was a man who went home that day. For a look, he was delivered. I wonder if you're here today and you've never looked unto Christ. You know not Christ. We bid you look. Look to the Savior, the darling Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Let's stand. Miss Angie, if you'll come back to the piano, please.